Please uh, take a seat. Can I encourage you to um, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of John in the New Testament. Please grab your Bibles. Have a man in front of you so that you can follow along. I'm going to be reading the first seven verses of John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love you to have one in your own hands. We'd love you to have one. So we've got plenty up the back there. Feel free to grab one at any time um, and please take one home with you. That's our gift to, to you. Um, and so please open up your Bibles now to John chapter 14 as we continue our sermon series in finding hope. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been finding hope in the birth of the King. Last week, we saw finding hope in the resurrection of the King. And today, we're going to be finding hope in the return of the King. John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Well, good morning again, church. Um, again, if you are new, uh, big welcome to you. My name is RJ. I'm the associate pastor here in Tungabi. Um, allow me to begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you again for giving us your word that we can read. But Lord, we thank you for giving us the mind that can understand. But Father, now we ask to give us the Holy Spirit so that we will be transformed and renewed by your written word and your spoken word. This we pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, in 1789, Benjamin Franklin, the founding father of America, wrote to a friend. And in the letter, he wrote this very famous phrase that we often hear today. In this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Uh, I think Benjamin Franklin is only half right. Taxes are not quite certain. In United Arab Emirates, there, there's... They're currently, they don't have income tax. The nation is so rich there, there's no need for it. And some people are really are able to cheat their taxes, so that's not certain either. But I believe no one can really cheat their death. Only death is certain. And I'm sorry to start this bleak news for a Sunday morning, but everyone sooner or later is going to have to face death. Death is the great leveler. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, famous or a nobody, whether you have accomplished something in life or you've been a menace to society, we're all going to die. And even science tells us that all our, our solar system is going to die one day, that our sun is going to explode and it will consume the entire solar system and die. Death is certain. But I think our society is also in complete denial of death. Most people don't wake up in the morning thinking about their death. Because even though it's certain, it's hard, really hard to accept. 
There's just something so unnatural and unjust when we stare at death. I don't know if you've been in this situation, but if you ever stand in the ICU watching a loved one struggle to breathe or having to pull your life support, or if you ever witness a spouse or a child slowly deteriorate and their organs start to fail because of cancer, you will say that, there, that death is so unfair. It's evil. It's the ultimate enemy. And this is why most of us will live our lives in denial of death. We live acting as if we're all going to live forever. Most of us, we don't prepare for our death. And if we do, we leave it to the last minute and mostly just for financial reasons. Uh, Ernest Becker, an, an anthropologist and author, he wrote this award-winning book in 1974. So it's a, a fair while back titled The Denial of Death. And in the book, he said this in summary. He said that the modern man is drinking and drugging himself out of awareness of death, or he spends his time shopping, which is the same thing, as awareness calls for types of heroic dedication that his culture no longer provides for him. Society contrives to help him forget, or alternatively, he buries himself in psychology in the belief that awareness of death all by itself will be some kind of magical cure for his problem. Becker is saying there that we try to create meaning in life, which he calls heroic dedication. He said that in, in order to feel immortal, we try to make our life significant. But he argues that if we feel like we've accomplished something while we're still alive, it, feel like, it feels like we're going we're gonna to live forever. But he says that if that doesn't work, then we try to occupy ourselves or numb ourselves with pleasures, drugging, drinking, or shopping. And he goes that if that doesn't work, we try to embrace death by turning it into science, by turning it into psychology. But in the book, he argues that even that cannot sustain our denial. Now, this guy is not a Christian, by the way, because at the end of the book, he says this. He says, this is the terror. To have emerged from nothing, to have a name, consciousness of self, deep inner feelings, an excruciating inner yearning for life and self-expression, and with all this, yet to die, it seems like a hoax, which is, one type of cultural, which is why one type of cultural man rebels openly against the idea of God. What kind of deity would create such complex and fancy worm food? He's saying that this is why we've stopped believing in God. Because we're asking the question, how can God create such a beautiful and complex human being, full of self-awareness, full of love, capable of love, and yet in the end, allow mankind to be but food for worms? See, we cannot stand the idea of death. And this is why we have movies like the Ghost, The Sixth Sense, even Disney uh, films started making movies that addresses death and afterlife. Why? Because we can't take it. We're trying to find hope and meaning in the most painful, most shocking, most unjust reality of life, which is death. And so here's the question for you. How are you dealing with death? Again, I'm sure you didn't wake up this morning thinking about death, but death, as we said, is inevitable. You will die and your loved ones will die, and you cannot deny nor suppress it. And so how are you going to deal with it? What is your hope? Where are you going to turn 
psychology, modern philosophy of enjoying life now, fear of missing out? Are you going to turn to religion? But see, unless you have a plan, unless you have hope to face it, you will be living in denial of something that is coming. So let me offer you the Christian understanding of hope against death. Let me show you the kind of hope that Jesus, that Jesus offers, the three things that we can learn about the Christian hope in this passage. And the three are what hope is offered, why we need this hope, and how do we get this hope. So what hope is offered, why we need this hope, and what, how do we get this hope. Let's start. What hope is offered? Now, earlier in the previous chapter, uh, chapter 16, Jesus, Jesus just told his friends that he's about to face a horrible death and that one of his friends is going to betray him. And so we know that he's been predicting his death leading up to this, but at this night, he said, this is about to happen. And he said that his friends cannot even stop it. And so the disciples were worried, they're worried, they're scared, they're confused. And so in verse one, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. So he tries to comfort them. Now that's the immediate context of the passage. But also remember the other context that when this gospel was written uh, as a historical document, it is written by the apostle John about, about 50 years later after Jesus. And we know by that time that Christians were extremely persecuted. The emperor of the time were, are, are, is absolutely hating the, this Christian movement. And so any followers of Jesus were being fed to animals. They're, they're, they're being tortured. They're being burned alive or they die in prison. And so the Apostle John writes this letter, probably from prison as well, and he provides comfort and hope. He, he reminds them of what Jesus said. And now look at the comfort and hope that Jesus offers here. Verse two, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And it just kind of baffles me that you're, you're about to face death, a horrible death, and here's your hope. In my father's house, there will be a place for you. And you kind of wonder, how is that comforting? How is that going to help me with torture and death? Now, let me point out two things that you might not have realized before. The first one, Jesus says that, that their final destination, that their reward is a home. It's a father's house. Now, when I was thinking about this, and, you know, we're in the process of buying a house. And I thought, like, why do we spend so many millions of dollars to buy a home? Why is the great Australian dream is to own a beautiful home? Why is the home the best investment in life? Why? Because everybody is always looking for a home. Because a home is not just a building to sleep in and eat. It's not just shelter. It's your refuge. Your home is your safety. Even if you have young kids, your home is where you find peace. It's where you can be yourself. The home is the ultimate place where you can express love and receive love. The home is the place you find comfort and rest. And even during Christmas, we often celebrate being at home because it's our source of joy. The home is where we create memories that sustains us in life. It's our place of belonging. And this is why I think to lose our home in a flood or a fire, it's so devastating. Not just because of the financial cost, but in a way we lose ourselves. You lose your, your home, you, you don't just lose your shelter, you lose your joy, your peace, your hope. 
There is something about our home that even insurance cannot pay for. That's why they even say that moving houses next to death and divorce is one of the most stressful life event because your home brings stability. And moving house, in a way, it loses your stability for a short while. And see, the home is the foundation of our well-being. Psychologists will tell us that, to, to, that a stable and nurturing home is, is crucial for child development. It's essential for our sanity. The home is where you learn values and principles. And, and it helps you uh, to have a dysfunctional home often leads to a dysfunctional future. And see, secondly, this home, the Father's house, is not just some spiritual metaphor. Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. He's saying that this is a physical and tangible place. The Christian hope is that there will be a physical place waiting for you. Your hope is a physical resurrection and able to live in a physical home. And see, I think this is a truth we often ignore, that Christianity is claiming that you won't just be spirits living in a spiritual world. It's saying that there will be a renewed physical body that won't deteriorate and die, and you'll be living in a world that will not run out of resources. It means that we all get to keep our senses in this new world, that we get to feel, we get to see beauty still. We get to taste food. That's why there's a banquet in heaven. You'll be able to laugh. You'll be able to run and do all the things that we enjoy now, but even better. Everything that you love about our world now will be a hundred times better. Everything you see, touch, smell, taste, and hear will be more glorious beyond comparison. It is beyond our imagination. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind can conceive, the things God has prepared for those who love him. That's our home. When I was in the Navy, I used to be away for months. Deployment for months and months, stuck in a small room with six other men. And what kept my sanity was the idea that I get to go home. I used to listen to Michael Bublé's song, Home, over and over. In, in the lyrics, it says, Another winter day has come and gone away in even Paris and Rome. But all I want to do is I want to go home. That seeing the world does not excite me anymore than the idea of coming home. And see, Jesus here is saying that your hope is that you're coming home. Your hope is to enter the Father's house where you will find ultimate peace and security and joy for all eternity. Now, you might agree and say, yeah, we all need a good home, and that sounds good. But why would I want that hope, that home that Jesus is offering? Or a second point, why do we need this hope? Or why would I want this hope? And here's why. You know, back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and they rejected God and disobeyed him, What's the punishment? We know that they were given death. Death is one of them. They lose eternal life. But the immediate punishment is that they were kicked out of their home. And I was thinking about this, that a home has rules. Every home is governed by principles and values. And what makes a good home is when a home has a lot of good privileges, but at the same time, it has boundaries, responsibilities, and values. And so in Genesis, God created a wonderful home for humanity where God and man can dwell together. It's the perfect home. It has great, wonderful privilege, privileges. 
everything was perfect, complete harmony in the creation order. And in this home, you get eternal life. It has the tree of life. And more so, you get to see God face to face. It means that you have this access to the glorious relationship with God. And we know that if you break the rules at home, that there will be consequences. If you go to someone's house and you disrespect the homeowner or you, tra you trash the place, we know that you won't just lose the privileges, but you get kicked out and you break the relationship. And see, according to the Bible, the ultimate punishment for humanity is that they lose their ultimate home that, they have, that they've been created for. The punishment is that we get kicked out out of the place that brings us the ultimate peace and security and joy because we lose access from our creator. And so we have this Adam and Eve facing death because they, are lo they lost access to the tree of life. And so since the fall, every single one of us is looking for this home that we've been created for. Every single one of us is trying to, re to recreate heaven on earth. Most of us are trying to replace what we have lost. So we replace it by creating our own beautiful home that, that money can afford. We replace it by seeking the most, and, uh, most intimate and satisfying relationship we can find. We replace it by seeking uh, or, or even denying, denying death. See, this is the reason why we're seeking eternal life. This is the reason we're, we're always seeking for comfort and love because we've been created for this kind of home with a perfect relationship with our Creator. We're looking for this place that we can call our ultimate and eternal home. But see, it doesn't matter how beautiful and great your home is now. Nothing is ever going to compare to the Father's home. Because all along, this is the home that we've been looking for. And the problem is we've lost our eternal home because of our sin. And Jesus Christ says that you can be welcomed back into the Father's home. And that's why if you look at Revelation uh, 21, the way the Bible ends, it says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That he will wipe every tear from their eyes. They, there will be no more death. See, the reason why this heavenly home is so good is because there's restoration of relationship with God. That God will be with us. And notice that Jesus says that I will take you to the Father's house. That it's not just a sleepover for a couple of days, that you're there to stay. You're there to stay for all eternity, which means what? You become part of the family. You become a son and a daughter. You get to enjoy all the privilege, privileges of heaven has to offer. You get back what Adam and Eve have lost. You get, you get your, your eternal, your real home back. Now, do you see the implication of this? Do you see how this truth now can really change our lives? That if you don't, if you don't have this, if you don't believe this, then all the happiness you'll ever know has to be in this life alone. If you don't have this hope, then you will do everything you can to find the same joy and peace and happiness and glory in this life. That your joy, your joy will be limited to what this life has to offer. And if anything goes wrong in your life, uh, if something destroys your health or your wealth, then you have nothing left awaiting but pain, misery, and death. 
And so what you'll do is that you'll start to demand it from others, demanding others of the peace and love and joy that you deeply desire. And you might even do the wrong thing in order to get it. But if you believe this, if this is true, and we know it is, then you, will, you can really overcome anything. If you believe this, you get to, to enjoy things that we have now, but you won't make it your ultimate joy. That every good thing you experience in life today will be but a reminder of better things yet to come. It will allow you to, to sacrifice going without because you know you can enjoy it later on. And most of all, it will help us deal with the pain and misery. It will help you deal with death. Because Christianity, Christianity never minimizes our pain, our problems. It doesn't tell you to, to just get over it. It acknowledges our pain today, but it gives us a hope for the future. That Buddhism, for example, tells you that pain is an illusion. It's saying that let go of your desire, then you won't feel the pain. Hinduism tells you that pain is justice, that you get what you deserve. But Christianity says that your pain is real. Death is real. They're not right, but they're real. And the solution, according to Christianity, is not just to ignore it. The solution that it offers is that it gives you truth. And here's the truth that salvation is offered. Forgiveness and reconciliation is offered. Eternal glory is being handed. It tells you to hang on and not to lose the hope. And that's why in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That he doesn't discount your pain and your suffering now, but he's putting it into to the right perspective of the coming glory. That the Christian hope in dealing with the difficulty today is the hope of the future. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might be asking, well, how do you know this is true? How do you know this is guaranteed? Well, here's how. And for the last few weeks uh, in, in our sermon series, we've been looking at this. That in the Old Testament, God said that I will send my son, born of a woman, and born in this obscure town in Bethlehem, to be the savior of the world. And he did. It happened. The one without beginning was born. That he had a birthday. That the creator became part of the creation. And then Jesus Christ throughout his ministry said that he will die for the sins of people. And in three days he will come back to life. And we know that he did. He showed himself to hundreds of people. He ate fish with his disciples when he came back to life just to prove that his body is real. That we have historical documents to prove that it happened. And now Jesus is saying, I will prepare a place for you and I will return to take you with me. Now, if God is faithful with everything else that he has said, why can't we trust him with this final promise? He promised to come, and he did. He promised to come back to life, and he did. Now he promised to return. And now you can bet your life that he will. That Jesus during his ministry said that stop building your eternal home here where moths and thieves will, and rust will destroy it. He's saying that stop building your house in a foundation that will one day crumble. Build your life in something that is certain. Build your life in his promise. Which leads us to our third point. How do we get this hope? Well, two things quickly. Firstly, you have to know that you cannot get there yourself. Jesus said, I will come back and take you with me. That you cannot get to this home unless Jesus Christ takes you there. 
that you can't get to heaven by yourself, that salvation is not based on what you do. Christianity is not a self-help religion. Uh, this week, the HSC results were released, and all the graduating year 12s uh, get to know if, if they get into the university that they wanted. And so how do you get to the university that you want? Well, by preparing for it, by studying hard and sacrificing a lot of your time and your energy, and, and really to, to have a high achievement. See, and that's how our world normally operates, that the best resume gets you the best job. But that's not according to God's economy. That's not how you get to God. The Bible says that you will never be good enough. To get there, Jesus said that you cannot prepare your own place, nor you can take yourself there, that Jesus has to do it for you. And so the beauty of Christianity is not that the smart or the rich or the educated or the successful or the religious person gets in. It's those who can say that I have nothing to offer, nothing to contribute, but I come with total humility because I'm broken, I'm lost, and I'm, I'm, and I'm dis undeserving. But secondly, Jesus said that you need him, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him. That to get to God the Father is through the Father's Son. It's those who believe in him. It's those who believe that the Son of God came to be like man, to live the life that we cannot live and die the death that we should have died. And on the third day, he defeated death by coming back to life and by believing that he will return to judge and restore all things. Total surrender and complete dependency on Jesus, and that's all that we need. It is by grace, through faith, that you get to go home. And notice how inclusive and exclusive Christianity is. Inclusive because anyone can go to Jesus right now. It doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter what you're struggling with right now. You can go to him right now. But Christianity is also exclusive because there's no, it's saying there's no other way to God aside from Jesus. There's no other way aside from him. You know, when I was thinking about this, I was wondering, I remembered, you know, how, let me ask you, how do you get into the principal's office? How do you get to see what's inside the office of a person in power? Well, there's a few ways. One, if you get in trouble, you get sent to the principal's office. You get there to get suspended, to face judgment in a way. But secondly, if you excel in school, you get there to be recognized, to be praised, to receive your medal, to accept your reward. But there's another way. Uh, when I was in primary, one of my friends is the principal's son. And I used to get invited in, not because I'm in trouble, not because I've achieved something, but simply because I have a relationship with a person who has a relationship with a with a person in power. And you see, Jesus Christ invites you into the most sacred place. He gets you into the most exclusive and glorious place, and your only way is through Him. Not with what you have achieved, but only through what He has done for you. He's the way, He's the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through Him. That's our hope. Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, that even though we are so undeserving, that he paid the penalty of our death,
that he gave us life. And now we hang on to this wonderful hope that one day all things will be restored, our bodies, our world, our relationship. And so, Lord, help us to deal with the things now by putting our lives into this right perspective, knowing that your words are true, your promises, your promises are real. And we ask that you will strengthen our faith with the help of the Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.